0: Of course, you W.E. Know, du Bois, he would graduate from Harvard in 1895 with a Ph.D. Booker T. Washington, of course, who was born a slave in a great movement in, after the Civil War, said that for the, his fellow African-American slaves, they should get jobs and not push it too fast. Du Bois said, no, 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 it is education and we're going to move until we're finally free. And he was a great man and leading in that way. As they gather together, it's funny to me always how my life is just like your life, and that's not to depress you, but the similarity that we have is that when we come and you read Scripture, we kind of play a spiritual shuffleboard. You know, you get a verse and you go, boy, I hope my wife heard that, or I hope he heard that, (laughs) rather than us. It's like the uh, farmer wouldn't treat his wife very well. She says, we're going to go to one of them psychologists. He says, What's a psychologist? He says, it's a counselor. He said, All right, we'll go. So they came and sat down, and the psychologist said, Well, things are going, and she was just sitting there quiet. And he said to the farmer, He said, Do you ever tell her you love her? And he said, Yeah. He tell her you love her. And he said, Psychologist says I love you. He said, All right. He said, Do you ever think nice about her? He said, Yeah. He said, well, Tell her she looks good. He said, The psychologist says you look good. The psychologist said to the farmer, You know what a woman needs every day? I'll show you. He walked over and he kissed her. And he said, She needs that every day. The farmer said, great, we're done here. I'll bring her by tomorrow. Take care. I will do this. <laughs> God wants us to hear what he says to us. And where would Jesus live? Well, whether he had an apartment or whether he owned a house. I think there are three things that Jesus would, first of all, how he would live. He would live light. He would live large. And he would live in love. He would live light. He wouldn't let a lot of material things get in the way of his mission, what God was called him to, holding on to them loosely. He would live large. It doesn't matter whether you have money or not, where you live, to be able to have the abundant life that Christ called us to. He would engage life and live it. And above all, he would live in love. Wherever he put his head at night, whether it was in an apartment on Ventura Boulevard or a house in Beverly Hills, whether it was in San Diego or whether my favorite city, Barstow, it doesn't matter where he'd be at, that when you went into his house, it would be a sanctuary of acceptance and peace and love. And where we live is not so much about the lifestyle on the outside, but our heart on the inside. And what's ironic about all this, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the electronics we use, The apartments we rent, the houses we own, they are all means to an end. And ironically, it's very much like picking out your stateroom on the Titanic. Enjoy it. It has a good view, but it's going bye-bye. And the more we let go of this world, ironically, the more we can engage it and use it and maximize it. And the Bible has lots to say about that. When I say that Jesus would live light, what is the perfect economic level? And all of us in here would say, a little more than I have. That I know. But what does the Bible say about that? Got your Bible. Turn with me back over to Proverbs into the 30th chapter, page 534. These are sayings of a gentleman by the name of Agur, or Agur. We don't know who he was. You know, his name means the editor, the collector. Some think it's uh, Shlomo, Solomon's, other proverbs. We don't know. If you don't think it's hard to do a proverb, today, before you turn on the Super Bowl, write a proverb. See how hard it is to write this down. But he has this great thing about wealth. Look over here in verses 7 through 9. Let's read this together out loud. Two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need. Or I shall be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Great insight he has there. God, don't make me rich lest I forget you and I just live for my money. And don't make me poor lest I swear at you and defame your name. Give me that Goldilocks economy. Not too hot, not too cold. And the question is, well, what exactly is that? Interesting, you notice he says two things removed from me. The lies of life. God, I want, I want all the lies to be taken away. I want hard-boiled reality, the truth. And there's the lies of wealth, the illusion of wealth, that if I have it, my life will be better, and the illusion of poverty that somehow that is more pleasing to God. And so he says, give me what it really is. When you look at the, of course, for the first 300 years, Christianity was illegal until Constantine becomes a Christian, and we've studied this, the more things change. But you look at our extended spiritual family, they have a lot to teach us. Those are the women and men who lived before us. Wise women, wise men that have insights into things they went through. One of the earliest writings... The didache, didactic teaching, that means the teachings of the twelve, are really the, the disciples of the disciples. And notice the saying they, they have here about wealth in this first slide that we have here. Everyone who comes to you in the name of the Lord must be welcome. Pause. Now remember, this is about 150 A.D. And people are kind of traveling around the Roman Empire and saying, as you as Christians, when they come to your house, you've got to welcome them. Afterwards, when you have tested them, you'll find out about him. For you have insight into right or wrong. If it is a traveler who arrives, help him all you can. But he must work and use his abilities to not be idle. Now, is this for Bill Air? If it is an artist, he must not stay more than two or three days. <laughs> Obviously, couch surfing was popular even back then. Well, I didn't make this up. What was he talking about? Well, what he's saying is when someone comes to you, you got to take care of them. Now, if they're just going to crash there and be a burden bump them they got to be able to be working and take caring themselves now you love them and help them but if they're coming and they're just saying hey welcome brother i like my eggs over easy i'll see you tomorrow morning there's a difference between waiting on the lord and letting the lord wait on you and so early on the church does that a couple here hundred years later basil the great who was the bishop of cappadocia started by the way the very first hospital for the lepers both for pagans as well as for Christians. And he says this, Such are the rich. Because they were first to occupy common goods, they take these goods as if their own. He said rich people think they deserve what they have. He's looking around the Roman Empire. If each one would take that which is sufficient for one's need, leaving what is in excess to those in distress, no one would be rich, no one poor. Now that's fascinating. He's already getting into economic theory. The idea about what is too much and what is too little. As it goes along 50 years later, Augustine of Hippo, whose father, remember, was a Roman pagan. His mother, Monica, Santa Monica, St. Monica, prayed. She was a Christian, and he becomes one of the great minds of the Christian church. And looking around the Roman world, he thinks it's the desire for private property that makes war. Those who wish to make room for the Lord must find pleasure not in the private, but in common property. For an account of the things which each one of us desperately possesses for ourselves, wars exist, hatreds, discord, strifes among human beings, tumults, scandals, sins, injustices, and murders. For what? On account of those things which we want for ourselves, do we fight over the air we all breathe in common or the sun we all see? Interesting what he's saying. If, it, if we could learn to not, if you could enjoy something without owning it, oh my goodness, he's saying, your life will go so much better. It goes along, and for a thousand years, the church thinks the world's goods are only good for glorifying Christ, but keep away from them. The ultimate, the mendicants, that means one who trusts God. If you were a Franciscan or Claire, Sister Claire of the Poor, or Dominique, the idea was you liquidated all of your assets every night. And then why? So in the morning, tomorrow morning, if we got rid of every asset we had and went to bed, just at what we have on our back. We'd have to trust God. And they would go about not begging, but looking for jobs. They were kind of the ultimate day laborers. Well, then it came along, and the Reformers we saw a couple weeks ago, Luther and Calvin, certainly Knox in Scotland, said, money isn't bad. No, money does good things. You should create wealth to help others and the good news of Christ and to take care of yourself. The Puritans who were Reformed theology, they're not Presbyterians. They come over, and you think of Puritans, you think of people that are really... Uptight, like too much starch in the shorts, you know. But they worked very hard as they came to the colonies. What's interesting is this statement here about wealth. Providence, pause for a Puritans, we talk about the sovereignty of God, this means God's hand, has given us a prosperous portion of this world's goods. In other words, they were doing good, they were making money. A love of the creature of the world of riches is not a sin. You ever heard of a Puritan saying that? Loving riches in the things of the world is not a sin. For the works of God are all good as such when used for others. Remembering poverty is not evidence of God's anger or hatred. Neither are riches a sign of his favor. Just because you're poor doesn't mean God doesn't like you. And just because you're rich doesn't mean God does either. What they're saying is wealth is good in instrumental value, not intrinsic. And when you use it, So where you live and what you consume and what house you're in is the question of how are you driving it towards the Lord. Paul will say all the time, the Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, get a job. He's telling them, quit laying around. And he's telling these new converts, both Jew and Gentile, work with your hands so you're not a burden to others and you can help others. Check your egos. He told them, because they said they wanted to be in the big positions. He says, you, you be a common labor. Not that that was more holy, but they thought they were too much above that. He said, well, that's a statement of your walk with Christ. If you're not willing to do something less than you think. And so often in life, we're so upset what we don't have, we miss the good. I had a couple uh, last year come to me for counseling, and uh, they shared with me because they thought I would be using their life as an illustration. And, uh, no, not because of uh... <laughs> I asked them, I can share this. But they came in and they were told, they had been married a few years and they had delayed their honeymoon. So they saved enough money for one week in Hawaii. And they pre-bought it. And when they got there, they said it's an ocean view. And he said, well, you could have an ocean view if you held your spouse by the ankles. And they looked off the balcony. You could see the ocean. She was so upset. This dream vacation. She spent the entire week. He would go to the beach alone because all day long she was bringing down the wrath of God on this hotel staff. And she missed the whole thing. How many of us? Because of the apartment God has given us. Because of the job we have. Because of the family God gave us. Because God didn't give us kids. Because God gave us those kids. Because (laughs) God has me single. How? Because I don't have this. We're just walking around fighting when paradise is outside. And so the Lord calls us to say, to live light. Yes, use things and enjoy them. But you hold on to them too tight, man, you're going to get rope burned because they are passing away. And the, so I think Jesus, wherever he lived, he would buy things, but he would be buying them lightly. He would also live large. You know what do I mean by that? He would, I came to give them life and life in its full abundance. The kind of life you take a bite out of the apple and it's so juicy, the juices just run down. That kind of life. And money is not the way that you have that. Fame is not how you have that. It's following Christ that you have that. And a lot of people think to be really holy, it must be of God. Why? Because it makes me so miserable. Paul says that's crazy talk. He told the Colossians who were in Greece, quit sleeping around with everything you want. Quit getting hammered and drunk at night. That's not the way. Now you're Christians. But he said those who are the extreme ascetics, you need to lighten up. You know, believe me, turn with me. I can tell from your faces. Turn with me over to Colossians 2 on page 957. Last passage here. And as Paul is writing to them, he tells them of getting a balance in our life together. In Colossians... Here in the 20th verse, down uh, through the end of the chapter there, 23. Let's read this together. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body. But they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. All the people that say, I'm not going to live that, I'm not going to experience that, I'm not going to touch that. Because the less I please myself, the more I am going to control my body. Paul says, not so. Now, if you're addicted then you need professional help and people to encourage you to help get over that. But the idea that just because I turn off the bad stuff, my heart will change, Paul says, is an illusion. That's not how God does things. Would Jesus drive a Prius or an SUV? I had someone ask me that. I think Jesus would drive the one that got the best deal. That's just what I think. I don't know. Would he be a steward of this earth? Yes. Would he have a big house or a little house? Well, that's the question. Is God's will a dot or a circle? I've told you this before. Is God's will a dot? Specific, specific, specific. Should I steal? God's real clear on this? No. Uh should I commit adultery? No. Should I tell her it's the good news? Yes. What clothes should I wear? Did any of you pray about the clothes you picked out today? Some of you should have. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, 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 no. Now. You didn't go to the closet and go, which shirt, oh Lord, lead me. Uh what's top? Now, he does say, I don't care whatever is pleasing to you is pleasing to me. Do put something on that I want, but no. And I think there's a lot of times where God says, I don't care whether you live there, do this or have that job, whatever pleases you. It's what's behind all that. And I think the four P's I've said of theology for the 21st century, the person and work of Christ, poverty, peacemaking and pollution, the person and work of Christ He is the central figure. I was just with uh, some Jewish friends again, and they said, well, you know, Jesus is the Gentile Messiah. I'll give you that. I told them if he's not the Jewish Messiah, he is not the Gentile Messiah. He's both of our Messiahs. In the sense of poverty, how do we empower others? How do we, in what we consume, are we helping people in that sense? Do you realize that one life, I was reading a statistic We're doing Imagine L.A., helping children. One life, a homeless life that ends up going into prison and lives out their life that way costs California $2 million. You bring one person to Christ, help them get a job, you just put $2 million in the coffers of this state because that's the expense of a life gone bad. And so how do we help empower people to get jobs? What about that sense of poverty? What about peacemaking? We need to make peace in our families, in our homes, but in our jobs, how we earn a living, where we live, our apartments, our houses, in our offices, our classrooms, but even in our purchases. We need to be wise consumers. This is a global community. Hey, helping some of these people who grow coffee to get other crops, and I love coffee. I think it's a gift of God. I really do. But some of these people growing these beans out there are under such slave labors, and if they could turn it to their own crops, they could be self-sustaining. And pollution. I think we're stewards of the earth. I'm not an earth hugger, but I believe this planet's going to pass away, yes. But it's where people live. We need to, that's the only one we've got. Do you know how powerful it really is when you work together? Do you realize this last year more trash was recycled than all trash was collected a generation ago? Do you know, yeah, that for the first time in the U.S. fishery and hatcheries counts, and they've been doing this for 105 years, Last year, there were not less fish than the year before. First time in 105 years. It is very possible to turn things around. I also think that well, if you don't bring them to Christ, what does it matter? There's a new uh, fad out there. Have you heard of it? A hundred things? Have you read this book? He challenges everybody that your entire life should have 100 items. All the clothes, all the dishes, all the books, all the electronics. Get it to 100 items. The whole idea, I don't know if I buy it or not, but the idea is own less and live more. Because the more you possess, the more you've got to take care of it. And the more it possesses you. And I think Jesus would have a simple lifestyle. What we have to really do is, and you're not Luddites. You know, the Luddites destroyed the textile mills of England because they thought they would put them out of work. And so they were against technology or the Amish. I'm not talking about that. Just saying, why do you buy what you buy? Why do I buy what I buy? Like they say, we Americans spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. <laughs> and we let the crowd drive us in our decisions and saying, hey, hey, hey. And just not only would Jesus live light and live large, but he would live love. And as Jeremiah said, they thought they were going to go home. And he said, no, your welfare is contingent upon the welfare of this Babylonian city. So you stay there and you pray and work. And in this crazy, nutcase city, our blessing is upon blessing it. Now, this city will pass away in the dust of time, like all cities and civilizations. The people sitting next to you and that you're having coffee with at Starbucks or in line at Trader Joe's or in your office or on the campus, those people are eternal. This stuff is passing away. But this is the stuff he wants us to harness. Wherever Jesus put his head at night... Whatever car he drove, whatever clothes he wore. And Jesus is tough because the only thing he ever owned were the clothes on his back that they rolled dice for when he's being executed. Those that followed him, he said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to put his head. Are you going to follow me? In other words, if you're going to follow me, it's not about getting goodies in this planet. It's not about hating them, but you're not living for them. And this great freedom that comes... I think that as we go in this journey, when people come to your apartment or your house, do they sense sanctuary? That it's safe to be honest, to be themselves, that they don't have to perform. When people come into your cubicle at work, do they sense a little mini refreshment place? And not that you don't work harder than everybody else there, or at your spot in the shop, or in the office, or on the playing field. I think that Jesus, what I would love to do, is called Kid people, K-I-D, kindness, integrity, and dignity. I think he would show kindness to everybody. Jesus would confront people that are heading over the cliff. He said to the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look polished, you are dead bones on the inside. Not exactly sweet and huggy, you know. But he's doing that because they wouldn't listen. But everybody else, he was so kind to the outcast. Integrity. Jesus said, it is to your advantage in the upper room. And the disciples had no idea. They could no more conceive of a crucified Messiah than they could a resurrected one. And he said, I'm going away. And they're bothered. And he says, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. That Greek word is parakletos, paraklet. It means to come alongside. A parasite is something that comes and sucks the life out of you like a tick or a leech. Paraclete is something that comes along and doesn't live your life for you, but helps you in that journey. And you and I are to come along others in their journey. Not live their life for them. That's called integrity. They have to. But stand by them as they live their life. And dignity to all people. Not the famous not the important, not the powerful, not the wealthy. Yes, be classy to them. Don't have a chip on your shoulder. But to the person that's trying to squeegee your window when you didn't ask him to. To the person who's waiting on you. I was privileged to do a, the memorial service here for Bel Air for President Reagan. And on this 100th birthday of his, I can't help to think. Uh, Michael Venning, that was who was in that one slideshow picture, who did the service over at the Reagan Library, the large funeral was obviously memorial. It was back in the National Cathedral and in the Senate or in the House Rotunda there. But we gathered together because this church meant so much to uh, President Reagan. And one of the stories that as we were doing, we were sharing together. Someone said when he got out of office, he sent a bunch of his shirts because they were having a drive here for clothes to the rescue mission. He sent like 20 of them. And the rescue mission called up. They were monogrammed. And they said, uh, Mr. President, thank you, but you know they're all French cuff, cufflinks? And do you have any other shirts? Because the homeless don't have a lot of cufflinks. He sent 20 presidential sealed cufflinks down there, sets of them, and all the homeless are cruising around with Reagan shirt on. <laughs> Dignity. Dignity, whoever they are. An indiscriminate class passing it out. Jesus would plant the seeds of his father's kingdom, whether in his apartment, in the valley, or on the west side, in Santa Barbara, Orange County, wherever, wherever he was at with his head in the night, at the train station. He would make that a sanctuary and a place of love. Reading a fascinating book about, it's called The Man Who Planted Trees. John Giono. True story. Tells of his encounter with a shepherd in the French Alps named Elziard Bouffet. And at that time, if you had been in Provence, you would have noticed there was no trees. Have you seen old pictures in the late 1800s, early 1900s? There's no trees on any anything? Because people cut them down and used them for building and for building their fires. And Provence had lost so many trees that even literally the wind had blown and so the streams went running. It was an ugly place. And so... John went and he, in this shepherd he met in one of those outside of the Alps, the French Alps there, that he met this gentleman, Eliazard, and he sat with him that night in his little hut, and he noticed he bought out this bag, and he went through until he got a hundred acorns. He found some that were cracked and threw them out and others, and he thought, what's this guy doing? And he went out and he realized, and the next day, as he would watch his flocks, Alzard was planting acorns. He had been doing it for three years. This was right before the outbreak of World War I. World War I didn't stop him. He kept planting them. In three years, he had planted over 100,000 acorns. He knew half of them would live, and of those who lived, half would be eaten by animals. 1939, World War II broke out. This French shepherd is still out there planting in Provence these acorns. And when he came back to Provence, he saw after the war, the entire ecosystem had changed. Because these oaks had grown, it allowed shade and allowed other shrubs and bush. And because of that now, because streams were running again, because water could find its way down into the reservoirs in there. Just from planting these silly acorns. It took 40 years. This is a spiritual wasteland out there. And the winds are blowing because there's no blockage, because there's not institutions and people and groups standing where it is right. And the cold, toxic wind of lost people just blows over this city. You and I don't have to stop the wind. What we do is we plant, not trees, seeds. And when you in the place where you live, your apartment or your house or your office, when you plant God's love and His goodness, it's unbelievable what God can do with that. Do you know the best time to plant a tree? 25 years ago. You know the second best time? Today. You know the best time to become a disciple of Christ? About 25 years ago. First of just a fun follower. Do you know the next best time? Right now. And sometimes in our silence, God is what uses this. Not in what we say, but in how we don't strike back, but simply living for the Lord and loving others that come into our path. Got an email this last week from someone that used to work with me long ago, and uh, he was on my staff and a very talented guy, but we didn't exactly always get along. To work with me is not to get along, but as, uh, and he had left and he just sent me an email saying, Mark, I want to tell you that. That was one of the best chapters of my life. And you were trying to model Christ for me. And I'm so sorry for all the things I said about you. (laughs) What was he saying about me? I didn't even know that. I like Josh McDowell. He was sharing, you know, he was down in South America speaking to a group of university students. Josh always does that. And it was a communist gathering, Marxist gathering. And the head of it, she got a brilliant lady. And she was yelling at Josh and telling him what an idiot was and throwing all these questions. And all the people were getting wound up. And he just stood there. And she just kept saying things. And he just stood there. And then kind of when she got done, he finished his talk and prayed and said, if you want to know Christ, you can. And. A week later, she came up to him and she said, I want to know more about this Jesus. Because who could stand there and how you just didn't respond back? And she prayed to receive Christ. She said, how did you have that strength to be so quiet? And he said, honestly, I couldn't think of a clever comeback. I was trying to think of it, you know. But because he zipped his lip, God kind shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. That <laughs> God used that. And as we go and we live our life, sometimes it's not what we say, it's what we don't say. We're supposed to eat from the sweat of our brow, and it's tough out there. Are you living loose? I mean, enjoy it. Yeah, hold it loose, living light. Don't let wherever you live. I know people in some of the biggest, most beautiful houses, when you go in, it is a mortuary. The toxic relationships there. One of the greatest meals I've ever had. When I was in North Africa, the most fun meals. It was the hottest meal I've ever had. When we were in North India, I mean, the curry they used was so hot, I saw Jesus, literally right there. (laughs) But as we were there with Ponraj and others, and it was one of the most joyful times. By the way, their house, their hut, was made out of cow dung, the entire thing. And yet it was one of the most joyful meals I ever had. I'll never go back. But those people were really amazing people. (laughs) The point being... Who cares about all these things? Christ matters. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't let anything hold you back. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We are in this incredible country, Lord, where there's not rioting outside and bombs falling and suicide bombers, God. And God, we have the freedom to come and to love and to worship you. And Lord, you've poured out an abundance We are 5% of the world's population, and we use 30% of the world's resources. God, help us to be stewards. Help us to know how to love, to not go without, but for that others can go with. Lord, help us in our lifestyles that we look not on what we wear. May those be, Lord, not seen so much as who we are inside. So, Lord, we now thank you for this privilege of being able to help others that don't have and to give to the cause of Christ. Lord, we pray as we give this to you now, bless the gift and the giver alike that the Messiah Christ may reign more fully. For his sake we pray. Amen.